And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, April 25th. And because it's Tuesday, it is a Project Prospect episode. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Chris Welsh here with you. Digging into some recent debuts, recalls, demotions, we have mailbag questions, a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes, maybe even up to 60 minutes. Ooh. It's going to put off my laundry problem a little longer, but I think I can make that sacrifice <laughs> for the good of the podcast. Clearly, the laundry wasn't that important this weekend because it's Tuesday and the basket is overflowing. Let's get to some recent news. Logan Allen, Logan T. Allen in some places, made his debut on Sunday for the Guardians. Got the win, allowed just one run on five hits over six innings against the Marlins, and racked up eight strikeouts while doing it. And it's the beginning of what looks like a wave of Guardians pitching prospects. Welsh, got to give you some credit. You said Logan Allen ahead of Tanner Bybee as far as the opportunity goes. It happened, and he pitched really well his first time out. Yeah, I'm, well, thank you for the credit. Um, you know, we saw credit back to Stuff Plus that, you know, Logan Allen was one of the guys in the very, very first onsets that popped in the Stuff Plus. And I think it kind of probably was going to give us, at least I took it as it, and this is a credit to Eno again, take it as an insight that a lot of these teams that are analytically driven are going to pay attention to some of that stuff. And, you know, he was already popping. Also a lefty, I think, is something that they'd like to see in that uh, rotation. And he, you know, he did the call. 17 whiffs in that start. His fastball was on point. He had a 42% whiff rate on his splitter, which he was throwing, and a 33% CSW. He was throwing strikes. He was um, he was going deep into the game. He was getting strikeouts. This is exactly what they want. And like you said, we might walk into May with a prospect rotation that outdoes a veteran rotation in Cleveland. And I don't think that's anything any of us would have thought. Like, I thought Tanner Bybee was preseason was the guy that we could see early on. I never thought Pat, uh, Peyton Battenfield, and he was number one. And Logan Allen obviously came up and really dominated. And I think all of these guys have made cases to keep into the rotation. Obviously, though, Tanner Bybee is not quite yet, though it looks like we're going to be seeing him very, very soon. Yeah, most likely it's going to be Wednesday. We just found out that he's been scratched from his scheduled start at AAA on Tuesday. The Guardians need a starter against the Rockies on Wednesday with all the injuries piling up. Uh, so Bybee likely coming up. By the time people hear this podcast, the news should be official. This doesn't count as our one that we talk about and then it happens as a surprise. That comes later <laughs> in the show. And even the three of us, we don't even know. Who we got to be dismissive about something. Like, we have to be dismissive about a prospect and be like, mm, <laughs> I don't think like, this is going to really work out. And then that guy's going to get called up immediately after the show. Guaranteed. But, you know, as far as the model goes with Tanner Bybee, how does he stack up to Allen and the other Guardians options for this rotation? Yeah, the, the the interesting thing about Bybee is uh, that uh, he, in fact, had uh, overtaken Logan Allen in the AAA uh, Stuff Plus race uh, that uh, is currently being won and probably will be won by Mason Miller because he's already up and they're not going to spend any more bullets in AAA. Um, the updated chart is Miller, Bradley, Burroughs, Riley Thompson, Simeon Woods Richardson, Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Harrison, Elvin Rodriguez, let me just remind you, if you've not picked him up in your deeper leagues, you should. He is killing it for the Rays. Uh, they picked him up from the Tigers, and uh, he looks really good. Then Tanner Bybee uh, at nine. Um, there were some uh, some foibles here. There was another player uh, I think we talked about on the cast that we were just like, this guy's not actually good. So why is he number one? I forget the guy. Oh, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. The Giants organization or something. It, so it turned out was it Luis Palacios that, or yes, yeah. Luis Palacios, I think, and they were calling all of his uh, his fastballs changeups. Oh, in the minor <laughs> leagues, and they don't spend as much time 
on minor league pitch classifications getting it right. And so I think it's kind of interesting to think that there could be other play people on there. There's right now there's a guy named Jose Chassin who's uh, in the top 15. And I just, I don't know that I believe it. Um, there's none of the numbers uh, say it. We got 48 pitches in there. I got to figure out what pitches he actually throws because if you call a fastball a changeup, then the model doesn't know what to define all the pitches off of. And then it says, you know, oh, I guess the slider is the fastball and the changeup is you're defining it off the slider. So then it might look good. You know, they might look like, oh, this is this guy's crazy good. Um, and that is not the case. So uh, I think for these top prospects, I can believe it mostly. And so Bybee, I'm into uh, the model says he's got uh, a, his fastballs, his best pitch by stuff plus, which is something I always like to see. Um, and then his slider and changeup are both good. And his curveball is not good, says the model. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what his pitch mix is when he gets to the big leagues. One last note about Logan Allen I find fascinating is that he threw splitters and it's very rare to have a lefty throw splitters. And, uh, that is not something that's happened a lot in the past. And I think it's because of two things. One, uh, lefties are often lower slot. I don't know why that is, but that's what I've seen. And if you were a lower slot, like a, a side armor can't throw a splitter. It's just, it doesn't, doesn't work. Um, but, uh, and the other part is, um, lefties see more righties than righties see lefties. And so you would maybe want a changeup with high platoon splits. If you are a lefty, you would want to get righties out with it specifically where a splitter actually has kind of neutral platoon splits. So Alan is out here finding, uh, success with a more neutral platoon split changeup. The thing that I think ultimately is the answer to why Logan Allen can throw so many splitters is that the line between a splitter and a changeup has never been more gray. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's foshes, there's there's circle change. Like if you just take a ball and make a circle change, oh well, look what it's doing. It's coming off the middle. What if you aggressively if you push that a little bit further? Oh, that's a Vulcan, you know. And then Here, oh, instead of doing a full circle, you go yeah. If you kind of go backwards off of that. Yeah, so that's the full circle, but but then if you if you kind of uh, make the circle smaller and smaller, you start getting a Vulcan because you're splitting those two fingers, right? That's <laughs> Come on, the, DVR, that's... get your cup, and we're all. <laughs> but if you if you take that's the circle, ball. if you take the circle and then put it back up on the ball, you got a split finger, oh. you know. So it's all just like one sequence, uh, one sort of you know spectrum from from circle to full. F- didn't we talk about that and, with Gavin Stone where you were pretty sure like that that change up was more of like a splitter at the end of the day that it was like like it that, like that was one of those guys I felt like we talked about early on that and maybe the model would like it better if it was a splitter I don't think with secondaries it's as big a deal if it calls it a curve and it's not a curve and it's a slider or it's a splitter instead of a change up maybe I don't think it's that much of a big deal as calling your fastball a change up that is a big deal for the model but at the same time there's some disconnect where the model does not like Gavin Stone as a prospect at all interesting I I have a model based question for you and I've been ruminating uh-huh. on this for like a week or so to save it so we could talk about here. Selfishly, it did have to do with the guy that we're going to talk about here a little bit in Brandon Fott. And the thing that got me thinking, looking through here, because by the way, this is probably the most of any year that I've really dug in. I can't speak enough to how much people should check out the Stuff Plus. The sheet is great. That's why you should sign up at The Athletic. I love looking over it, and I think it's a very helpful tool. And something I was thinking about, you know, I was looking at the guys at the top that explode on Stuff Plus and nothing to take away from them. Obviously, I look at guys like Taj Bradley and Mason Miller. It's incredible stuff. Uh, Even to a guy like Simeon Woods Richardson, who almost kind of toes this line. But one thing I noticed was a lot of the guys on the high end Stuff Plus are in the 50 range of pitchers, of pitches per game. They're going around 50. So let's say they're getting through what, maybe two parts of the order or something like that. And then a guy like Brandon Fott, he had one of the highest pitches per appearance of any pitcher on this, around 87, close to 90, and his stuff plus was down a little bit. And it just got me thinking, how do you weigh guys that are going 30 more pitches per appearance and their stuff plus, where they're maybe going a third time through the rotation, or your stuff kind of degrades a little bit later in the game, 
versus guys that are kind of fresh. You're only going 50 or 60 pitches in, and that's where you know the models are pulling from. Do you think there's anything to that when there's a 30 to 40 pitch difference and you see stuff plus changes between guys, or is it kind of irrelevant? No, it's it's totally relevant. Um, one thing that I think of is uh, the relevance of a size of an arsenal and and having a non-optimal pitch, like even Tanner Bybee having this curveball, right? Like the model doesn't like it, but maybe it's useful as just a different look to help turn over the lineup and get further into the game. And um, then you have the Spencer Strider types who are five inning, you know, uh, two pitch guys. And there's there's plenty of those. As well, but I think in order to succeed as a Spencer Strider guy, you have to have like a 135 stuff plus. Like you just have to have just like through the roof stuff plus. Mason Miller has a chance. You know, he's kind of he's he's kind of a three pitch guy, but like they're all hard, right? It's like a hard slider, a hard cutter, and a hard fastball. He's he's not he's not really like doesn't have a big velocity band, but he has such great stuff that you know he could he could be the next Spencer Strider, as, as some have put it. Uh, but generally, I think you do want to see larger arsenals. You do want to see them go deeper into games. The other thing I think of is we have a uh, a pretty easy rule of thumb of taking five points of stuff plus off when you change from relieving to starting. So um, if you are talking about, uh, let's say, here's a starter. Uh, who has a larger arsenal? Um, Mike Soroka. I mean, it's a three pitch guy, but like he's he's at 101 stuff plus. He's had major league success. Uh, he's in the minor leagues. He's got 101 stuff plus. He's going 72 pitches in, right? So he's kind of stretching out. He's trying to use all his pitches, 101 stuff plus. Um, you know, if you had a guy there, like I don't know who Chris Clark is um, or uh, Bowden Francis, I don't know who these guys are, they're around him. Um, and they have the 50 pitches, right? I would take Mike Sirocco off them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want to almost do that minus five off of them. But if you're talking about Taj Bradley with like a 121 stuff plus with 55 pitches, you can take five off of that, you know, in your head and still be like, still pretty spicy. Still pretty spicy, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I was wondering where it would be. Or made. you could, with the FOD thing, kind of be like, you know, he's going to play above uh, right now. He's got a 95. You know, I don't know if you want to add five, but he's going to play above uh, the guys around him that have uh, that have 50 pitches. Sean Dubin, he's better than Sean Dubin. I mean, this is the hot take right here. Braden and Fott is better than Sean Dubin, who I've never heard of before. Um, or Misail Tamarez. Um, you know, so that's one thing. Then there's another thing we discovered, you know, yeah. while we were talking free free game. And this is a big deal. It is something that we're going to change in the model. But he pitches at altitude. And who did DVR? Do you still have those numbers open? Where is he? He's at Reno and that's. Reno is over 4,000 feet. It's 4,500. Salt Lake City is 4,200. He's pitched there on the road. And by yeah. comparison, let's see if Welsh knows the altitude at the place where he lives. Oh, How high is Phoenix? gosh, I, I don't. 3,000? 3,000? <laughs> 3,500? 1,200. Okay. 1,200. Okay. So that is a huge difference. And that was something, by the way, I... And it's also humidored and and enclosed environment. Yeah, conditioned, yeah. And I was not aware that, and everybody else might be, but it was something that when we were talking about this, I didn't know the effects of what high altitude would take away from stuff. And, And the interesting thing, and you can speak to it, you know... Uh, three of those four starts were at high altitude and the stuff plus was down. One start was at sea level and it was the best stuff plus on the fastball. And I think slider that you, you saw, and I didn't know that it was going to be taking taken away from altitude. So now we're looking at a high pitch per appearance and uh, an adjusted altitude on his stuff plus. And it just makes me ruminate more on the, what is so interesting about Brandon Fott, who most likely will make his debut uh, this coming week, but wasn't it, was it 102 on the fastball in Tacoma in his second start? Yeah, the overall stuff plus was 102 in Tacoma, and in Reno, he had a 98 uh, and an 88, and in, um, was it Las Vegas or? That was, uh, I think it was Salt Lake. Salt Lake, yeah. Salt Lake, uh, he, had a 90, uh, he had an 88. So at all the, all the, uh, at all the higher altitude places, he had a, he had a lower number. 
Uh, there's some pitch mix changes. Like in one start, he didn't throw the curveball at all. So that that always changes your your stuff plus a little bit uh, start to start. Uh, but the bit, yes, the best fastball he's shown this year was at Tacoma um, and the best slider. And that does matter because the thinner air, it just the way that the seams catch, the way it creates movement, Magnus movement, you know, ride on the fastball. It happens less at at, uh, at at altitude. That's why people don't throw their fastballs in Coors Field because they don't move as much. And they just become kind of stinky, you know, fat, straight fat balls, you know. So uh, he's learning in the in the worst environment. And this is something we've seen even Ryan Nelson, who's, you know, hasn't quite come together like I'd hoped, but uh, uh, is still is still puttering along in the big leagues. We've seen other uh, prospects come through their system and struggle and I kind of think also of um, like Anthony Rizzo coming through the San Diego pipeline and how he hit like a million home runs in El Paso and then came up uh, and uh, couldn't hit a home run in San Diego and they traded him. Um, and uh, just and Yonder Alonso had a similar story, too, where it's like, you know, you have to I think I, if I was running a team, I would not want extreme minor league environments. For my kids, trying to move it's them off. It's so of hard to control that, though. It's, yes, it's like every it's every so often, and... yeah, the lease comes up and your lease is up too. So you can scramble and try to get a better one. It's always been a game of musical chairs. It'd be uh, a reason I, that I would want to buy my minor league affiliate. Let's see, it's interesting. And you want destinations that are close by. Uh, can I just ask before we move off of this? Uh, so at the end of it, I think the it's fascinating knowing you know the altitude stuff. But when you come back and you look at the pitches versus the lower end pitches. The two guys, Brandon fought and Robert Gasser is another one uh, playing triple a with Milwaukee. He's got a two seven, seven ERA. He's been good, but he is down there on stuff plus a 91.9, but he also has 87 pitches per game. Brandon fought's at 83 is the calculation that you might add five stuff plus to guys that go 80 plus pitches overall or do you think how i mean or is it just you don't even bother with it and you just focus well 55 is more than a reliever so i wouldn't give him the full five you know conversion right 55 is a lot for a reliever you know 55 pitches you'd you'd be like oh that's a long reliever or something right yeah so So maybe it's like three yeah i I wouldn't give him the full five um and maybe there's something we can we can go into uh, more specifically when we're when we altitude adjust and we're poking around the model right now uh, as we always do. Uh, I would, but I might give Fat the full five when you start talking about altitude too. Interesting. So you know, if you give him the full five, now he's got you know kind of like 101 stuff plus. Now he's hanging out, uh, and and you and you compare him to people with as many pitches. Now he's hanging out with Luis Patino. Well, he's got better command than Luis Patino, yeah. right? Now he's hanging out with DL Hall. He's got better command than DL Hall. So if I could give you, if I could sell you on like a DL Hall, Luis Patino type with command, I think you know those. Both of those guys have taken a step back, but you know that would be very. I think that would be very. With a lot of upside, I think there's still a lot of upside there, and and we will see it in full force most likely within this next five or six days um, with his start. And it'll be actually fascinating to compare him and Tanner Bybee, who I was going to say I think. His stuff plus might be getting closer to a Tanner Bybee when you think consider like yeah, pitch plus, location plus, and stuff plus all together. He might be looking more like a Tanner Bybee out there. And I know that's a big question for so many people right now. Tanner Bybee, Brandon Fott. Tanner Bybee, Brandon Fott. Everyone wants to know, who do you pick? If both are starting this week, you know, are you going with Bybee or Fott? Do we have any Do we have any buzz on Fott we, we There is buzz. They just won't make the initial initial announcement. I mean, Dre Jameson was option. Because Jameson's down. Yep, he's gone. Bumgarner's gone. And Tommy Henry just pitched, and it wasn't—I wouldn't say—phenomenal. So, was did Tommy Henry pitch on Bumgarner's day? Uh, he did. Yeah, he took the Bumgarner day. But like, was that like, was that like, was that his, like, was that his turn? That was his turn, as far as I, if I can rem- if I well, remember. Well, I've heard that Fott is pitching on the same day. So did Fott pitch last night? Fott pitched the day after Bumgarner. So he's like, he's like on the same train, but he was the day after Bumgarner. So. It's close into there, but again, all uh, things considered, Tommy Henry's numbers aren't loaded yet. God, I yeah, fought last pitched last <sighs> Thursday against Salt Lake, seven scoreless, eight Ks, one walk. I think that's the thing. It's like, strikeouts have been there, walks have been fine. That first start where you get the four home runs was a pretty fluky outing. If I'm choosing between just those two, Fought and Bybee, I 
think I like Bybee even more. I like them both. And I think it's it's kind of I think kind I like the, Bybee a little bit better. I don't know. It's also hard to compare these guys to the guys that have already come up too because if they were all available, let's say you had some kind of like league where pickups were monthly <laughs> or something like I mean I'm in one league like that, but it's a keeper league so these guys are mostly rostered. I would think Bradley, Tosh Bradley still one. Yep. And then Bybee for me just a whisker ahead of, of Fott potentially. I Part of what I'm I'm worried about with Fott right now is the way they've handled Jameson and the way they've waited to bring him up. Like it's made me kind of confused as to how sticky his opportunity in the rotation is going to be with the Guardians. It's kind of easy to see with the major injuries they've got. Oh, that that, that had a good question. What is your rotation if you're running the Guardians? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Who would I throw in that rotation? Like right now, like well, has Hunter Gaddis like like is that his time is up? Like he's, he's back down. He's back down. I think that that makes sense. Okay, so so you're you're going. It's Beaver, Quantrill. Got lit when up. Savali is healthy. Savali. I'm just saying, like everybody's healthy. Give me everybody's healthy. What's your rotation? Beaver, Quantrill, Savali. Uh, Bybee, Bybee, and Allen. I think Allen. I mean Allen is a lefty in this rotation. I think is like pretty key here. Yeah, I think I, Pat Battenfield goes down. I think it's Bybee and Logan Allen. Cleesack has an eighty-one stuff plus. Probably take Gavin Williams though over the number five. If Savali or Quant- Quantrill's probably last for me of those guys that you named. You know, I think he'd be the first guy out. Like he could be the fifth guy. Yeah, a uh, little bit of model validation on him finally. <laughs> I was right. Three years later. Yeah, um, almost 500 innings in the big leagues. 363 ERA <laughs> and a 124 whip this year. It's been a different story so far, which, yeah. Peyton uh, Battenfield, 85 stuff plus. I think that's that goes with the scouting report, right? Like, he was not high stuff, yeah. just good command. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the kind of guy that you pick up, that you that you bring in for a spot start, you know? Agreed. I was shocked that he was the like, first one. So, Allen and yeah. Bybee have the most staying power. I think it's the most important thing for this rotation because it is a bunch of names that are hard to justify that are actually better than Allen or Bybee at this point. Um, but Battenfield, but I don't think, yeah, I think with Tommy Henry, you have a similar situation in Arizona. Like, I mean, he had a six ERA in triple a last year. I don't want to just use ERA, but you know, six ERA in triple a this year, five ERA in the majors last year. And even his good season in 2022, uh, he had a below average strikeout rate. Um, I, there's and that's a, that's his only good season. The rest, of, like the re, other than AAA 2022, Tommy Henry in all of his places has an ERA over six. Yeah, I mean he's yeah, not and it, good. yeah, even with the appropriate, the environments are all tough, especially that's AA true. and AAA. We just started. We just finished talking about that. We learned about Amarillo's altitude before the show, much higher than you'd expect, right? You think Texas probably low? Nope, it's over three thousand feet. I guess that makes it hard to, there. to just just put those numbers out there. But still, I mean, he's at the major league level. He hasn't. He's got 51 innings and a, and a poor strikeout rate and walk. Rate, the the so. thing I'd go back with, and and I, you know, it's it's because of me probably that we talk about Brandon Fought so much because a Dimeback person. But <laughs> but I also want to <laughs> yeah, I, I want to point out though I think it's important because there's so many people, me aside, that had investments in Brandon Fought coming into the year. But check this out. The Diamondbacks within the last week have made tough moves. Madison Bumgarner, eat the money, kick the road. See ya. Jake McCarthy was sent down to AAA today, which was one of my bold predictions before the season because of his struggles. They're not screwing around and doing the old no. Lavello stuff. Yeah, McCarthy sent down. And 
No, no, no. More breaking news. Oh, no. What? Oh, Brandon no. fought out for the year traded. This is sad for me. Rays are sending impressive rookie starter Taj Bradley back to AAA. Oh, what? No. <laughs> it's It says no. as part of a transition to a five-day schedule as part of continued. He had been on a six-day schedule. I don't know. I, I think this is temporary. It's 10 days. Uh, it's 10 days. Dude, they're going to go with Chirinos and Fleming in the meantime? I don't know, dude. That's wildly stupid. I, I'm I'm hoping this is a 10-day I thing. do, too. I would hold on to Taj Bradley. But just finishing, like, the Diamondbacks, yeah, so, even when you go on geez. roster resource, there's four pitchers on there, and Tommy Henry is one of those. It's Gallon, Merrill, you got Ryan Nelson, and Tommy Henry. They don't have a fifth starter listed right now. The Diamondbacks have made the critical moves. So they might need Henry and Fox. They, they might need both of these guys. And they have also, what I think, maybe something you could put together, you know, too, is like, we had that start, which was okay, and then he could come up, and he didn't, and he pitched the next day. And then what happened the next day? He didn't throw the curveball, and he saw huge results. Maybe the Dimebacks wanted him to work through a few things to be refined, because I don't think it's going to be a turnstile once he's up. Once he's up, he's up. He's not going anywhere. They're mm. going to make the commitment. And I think it's an assurance thing. There is a spot open there. So that's why I kind of keep pushing the envelope with this because he's go- when he gets that spot, which will be very soon, this week, next week, he's going to be there for good. This won't be like a Dre Jameson situation where they're very kind of tepid about maybe trying to get him in the rotation. But I wouldn't have expected that Brandon Fott would be up and Taj Bradley would be down. But, um, you know. Isn't it so hard to figure out how organizations are going to deal with people? Like, I would say... Oh yeah, the D-backs, sometimes they take they they seem like they take rookies and just put them in. Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, yeah. like you know, just put them in and play and let them let them go through some struggles. But then you have Dre Jamison on the same team where you're just like what's the plan here? Well, also like if, you know, they obviously want to stretch him out and get him working as a pitcher. He's better than half of that bullpen right now. That he's not better than Jose Ruiz or uh, Peter Solomon is silly. So he could do that, but they want him to be a part of that rotation. So he's got to work something out. And so maybe he comes back and takes Tommy Henry's. I would think so long-term that would be it. Yeah, and you can control the schedule for him as a starter on the workloads a lot better, too. So you send Which him down is why for a Todd week or Bradley two. Is down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let, let's dig into this for a minute. It's fresh and well, frustrating. You know, it's also, Welsh pointed out, he was at 55 uh, pitches per start in, in, in the minor leagues. And, and the, okay, although but, I only have one appearance there. Well, he, he went okay deep into games, but I think... There's a management workload. I don't, what I'm not understanding is we're going to a five. He was on a six day and he's, we're going to a five. So we're sending him down. Is that simply to get some fresh bodies into help and for, you know, what, two, a week and a half and then bring him back up on a normal schedule? It's just odd Maybe to it's me. Innings. Maybe it's innings management. Yeah. The, we don't Maybe usually see the Rays do that. I don't think. They would piggyback. Weird, Usually, man. their move would be like maybe they pitch him two or three innings, and they have right. To be like an if opener. you're going to use Fleming, then just use Bradley and Fleming. Yeah. I, I mean, he's got a 23 to two strikeout to walk ratio in 15 and a third innings. He's thrown 78 or more pitches in each of his three starts. He's not going that short. You have a crazy good bullpen. Innings for Taj Bradley, as far as what he threw last year, 133 and a third. You can go one. You're getting into. You're going to at least 150, probably more, and maybe you got to save a little bit for the postseason. But you you do that stuff around the All Star break. You do that stuff with a break in the schedule. I, this is this seems like the Rays being too cute. Like I get it, they're 20 and three. They can't do anything wrong right now. This doesn't make any sense on the surface. I, I'm with you on the hold. I, I don't I don't think you send them. I don't think you caught them. There's just there's one thing you have to think about. Yes, you spent a ton of money in fab and waiting a couple of weeks to get him back is really frustrating. All it takes is one of their seemingly made of glass pitchers to be broken. Chirinos. And he's right back up. And, uh, or and then just horrible Fleming performance not, in the back. Fleming is a very marginal starting pitcher for a team as good as the Rays, you know? I just, I don't understand well, this. They activated Jose Siri to do this move, by the way. They activated Siri and then they optioned Bradley I just don't know if Which this is was, a weird corresponding. Maybe it was just like you know? short-term roster flexibility. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe it was just like they didn't oh, have... Oh, they didn't want to have to release Fleming or Chirinos or somebody. Yeah, there's DFAs that would go in. Maybe they just uh, knew that they could do this. They could option them down for three or four days and figure out what their next move is. And then who figure out... Taylor Walls has been playing or, so well. So, you know, it's like, what do they do? And they don't want to... Re- they never want to release anybody. They, they're like the kings of not wanting to release anybody. So maybe it was a roster crunch... They had they had coming, and so they just sent him down, and then 
you know what's inevitably going to happen is someone's going to get injured on the on the staff, and Bradley will come up to replace. Yeah, him. it's wild. I, I'm blown away though that this is the the move. I mean, you look at up and down this. They they have actually a lot of guys on the roster with options. The only the only member of their bullpen without minor league options, according to roster resource, is Garrett Clevenger. Every other reliever they have has options left, and they God, still they sent Todd Bradley them. down. That is that's that kills me a little bit because that kind of takes the wind out of my theory. Nuke's a two start week. They've done this to us before. I mean, we <laughs> you just don't expect it with the pitchers. Well, especially when Come they're on. 3-0, when they've gotten 3-0 in the start of He's the year. He's pitching really well. No. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what, what more can you do? So that that's the thing. We were just talking about how we'd rank the pitchers. Taj Bradley, obviously first. Two minutes later, Taj Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> that was the plot twist. We got it reversed it this time. In the show. It Instead ha- of being yeah. called up. <laughs> Everything we said a few weeks ago when we were comparing him to Simeon Woods Richardson, it's come true, but we didn't expect it to come true because everything that happened in the time since then, ah, Maddening. Woods Richardson, um, I think, uh, embodies all the risks that we're talking about with all these other players in more aggressive terms. Like the the twins seem fine with just using him as a spot guy or reliever, long reliever. Like there, there's nothing about the way that the the, the twins are treating Simeon Woods Richardson tells me that they're they have a spot waiting for him. Agreed. Yeah, I think the there's a lot of depth there right now. That's part of the problem. They just figure that somebody will get hurt and he'll come up and replace them, and that that's it. It's and they even pretty... have Ober doing that too. And Louis Varland. Varland, yeah. Louis Varland's in the top fifteen in AAA stuff plus. Not good for Woods Richardson, but it's nice that he's doing well himself. I think it's the same sort of problem eventually that that Arizona has, where you can't keep these guys stacked up at AAA all year. Eventually, you reach a point in the season where there's enough attrition on your big league roster, and even if it's in the bullpen, you got to let some of these guys throw some innings for you in one or two inning stints out of the bullpen because you just need quality and they're your best options. But at this point, from a long-term development standpoint, getting innings every fifth day as a starter is the best way to have 2024 and 2025 you know, with normal sort of workload ceilings. I think that's a lot of what's happening right now as well. This is a crazy start to the show. We're 30 minutes in right now. We've talked about two things. Well, a lot of theory. Uh, Michael we got a lot Bush. of theory in there too. A lot of theory, yeah. Michael Bush is up right now because Max Muncy is on the paternity list. Uh, this one pointed out on Twitter. Short. Yeah, this is probably short. There was a point at the beginning of the season where I wondered if Michael Bush might actually have a better path to this roster than expected. Part of that was you know, Muncy, if he didn't bounce back, if they had more problems at shortstop, and all the different things. You could move guys around and kind of open up. Well, they've had their problems Bush. at shortstop. They put Mookie Betts in. It's working. Mookie looks like a shortstop out there. <laughs> but is Michael Bush, is he is he in this group of positionless bats, guys that don't defend well enough to really play anywhere? I mean, we saw Edward Julian, we talked about last week, get sent back down by the Twins. He doesn't necessarily have a position to call his own. I wonder if this could be part of the problem for Michael Bush, even beyond you know this seemingly temporary call-up situation. What do we do with players like this who look like they can hit enough but don't necessarily have a spot where they can play initially and carve out that role. I think you got to put them on like a watch list because I, I think that's exactly what Michael Bush is right now. I think James Outman put a wrinkle in a lot of like extra opportunity for some of these prospects because he's so good yeah. and he takes up that roster spot. He's not going anywhere. Miguel Vargas has had some struggles, but I just don't think from a developmental standpoint, they want to do anything. If they did, it actually could and probably would be Michael Bush. He's in, he's kind of like a Max Muncie, and he can play around the infield. He's played second base. He can play first. Um, his strikeout rate, he's cut dramatically this year. He had a 26% strikeout rate in AAA last year. It's down to under 19%. He's got a, a 17 plus percent walk percentage. He's got a 3-4-5 slash so far this year. He had 30 plus homers. I mean... This is the quintessential Dodgers prospect as he's getting a little bit older. He needs opportunity. I think he's way better than like Edwin Rios was back in the day. Everybody wanted Edwin Rios to be, you know, the next successful and he's going to get time and he hits the ball hard. That's what Michael Bush is in general and he can play around the field. It's just 
I don't know where they do it. I don't know where they do it. I think it's going to have to take an injury or kind of a give up like the Diamondbacks are doing with McCarthy, where they say, okay, we need to retool Miguel Vargas and try something else. Then that would open up the spot, but there is no other spot. And like I said, Outman is probably one of the big reasons why they're not going to have as much experimenting with some of those close to the majors prospects that they usually have. And yeah, they just don't really have. And even Vargas, I mean, to, to, uh, yes, he's struggling, but he's a, he got a 95 WRC plus right now. So he's showing good enough defense and good enough offense to be an eight hitter for the Dodgers, you know. Um, and, and he gets uh, on base. Right, because of that, you know. So the, 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 the big thing that I would say for him is he needs to swing some more. I mean, he's got a Votto-like uh, swing rate, but he's not got Votto-like power. So if you don't swing very often, and then when you do swing, you kind of hit it softly. That's a, it's a weird combo. Not a lot of players have really uh, made this work. Usually, the guys who don't swing much, when they do swing, connect for power. I think it uh, might be the thumb, though. The barrel rate in the limited time he's been up this year compared to last season has been cut in half for Miguel yeah. Vargas. Average exit velo lagging behind last year. You know, the max isn't great at 108. Hard hit rate, 32.6%, down from 40%. He's Yeah, he's got a great idea of the zone. And part of this was like spring training. He was just standing up there just taking pitches, <laughs> yeah. which was really weird. Still Might have been the walking. function of the World Baseball Classic and having no only so players. many players available yeah. to play. But I, I wonder if Maybe that's if why he's, he's not hurt. stealing, too, huh? Yeah, he's really, I mean... He doesn't want to jam that thumb in the bag or whatever. The, the way they're using him, he started but 10 straight games before his most recent day off. But it was just a pinky, wasn't it? Dumb. There's something contagious, too, about like how bad has that offense been all year? They've been playing from behind. They've been struggling. They've been trying to find their footing. Their leaders in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman have gone through these slumps. Sometimes that stuff is kind of contagious, and then the younger guys and lower, lower parts of the order have to pick that up. And you get injury, and you get just like a team-wide slump if you're not James Outman. I don't know. That might be playing a little bit of a role in it either. I just, I don't think the Dodgers are giving up on him anytime soon. So whatever it is, I think that's astute. It might be because of this thumb injury that's continuously carried over. And sometimes I think like six Thank weeks you. into the year, that could take quite a while for him to get readjusted. Some other news we should get to Logan Ohapi out four to six months with a oh. torn labrum. He had surgery. He was off to a really good start. So that's just a, a bummer and long-term even, leagues, short-term leagues. It's, it's you wonder long-term next year. Yeah. Right, is he going to be himself coming off that injury? That can be a really big one for position players to come back from. Um, a rough week to be a catcher, not as severe of an injury for Andy Rodriguez in Pittsburgh, but he's dealing with a forearm strain right now for the Pirates. And I think based on how well that team is playing, he would, be, he would have been up by now. They could have probably called him up. Well, and, and I'm wondering, are the Pirates, are there other Pirates we should be looking at as possible uh, recipients of opportunities to contribute and possibly uh, help them sustain this fast start. Well, you know, just to throw this out, I was going to say he's a level below, but if the Indies thing drags out, Henry Davis has had a pretty good start to the year. Henry Davis was out here in the AFL. He's repeating double A, but he's got a 20 plus percent walk rate. He's got the second lowest strikeout percentage of any point in his minor league career. He's hitting 267. He's got four homers, four stolen bases. And, you know, he did so, he was one of the primary catchers out here in uh, surprise playing for the surprise team. And, you know, he's a team leader type of guy. This is a guy that I think could be put right in right now if they really wanted to go down that route and could jump Indy Rodriguez. Cause I think the only reason Henry Davis is at double a is cause Indy's the triple a guy. So if there's any stall, Henry Davis is one of those guys that could probably help sooner rather than later if they felt they needed to go down that route. Cause it's kind of hot bat right now. Yeah, I think when you, you look at the way this roster is built, having Carlos Santana and Andrew McCutcheon both there kind of covers your first base and DH playing time. But if you want to bring Davis up to make him your primary catcher, that's an area of weakness for them offensively right now. If eventually you know one of those veterans is hurt or not playing very well, I think you could see Davis and Rodriguez on the roster together. 100% I think they agree. can work as one of the better young catching tandems sharing time between multiple positions. Because there are people that think that Henry Davis eventually will be something else, not just a catcher. He might play more somewhere else because the bat is actually supposed to be that good, right? The ceiling for what he could do as a hitter might be such that he could just move off catcher and play every single day. Yeah, well, maybe Indy. Indy is athletic enough that he, I mean, both of these guys could move around in different positions. I tend to think, like, I've watched a ton of Henry Davis, and he's like old school scrappy catcher, 
guys plowing into him. He's taking pitches, kind of lean in, getting hit a whole bunch. Uh, pretty good arm. I know some people like maybe Andy, Andy Rodriguez's bat, I think is more explosive. And Andy, I think, plays fine catcher. But Henry Davis, I feel like, just has that physicality to be a guy that can do that five days a week, just get beat up back there. And I would think Andy Rodriguez would actually be better to play more like a Dalton Varsho role. I don't know if they'll ever do that, but he could be a guy that... Oh, that's totally plausible. Yeah, two or three like days he is, catching. He is useful all around the diamond. Yeah, maybe DH. Maybe they play him in the outfield. Like he could maybe play in the infield. I don't know what that experiment will go. That's not Henry Davis. Henry Davis is not going to move around positions. He's going to be your catcher. He's a catcher's catcher. Exactly. Catcher's catcher. It's a good way to put it, yeah. The yeah, I, the name that I have is, is the same name I've always had, is Luis Ortiz. <laughs> and... I'm just waiting on, you know, the weird thing is for me, Rich Hill's sinker and curve still uh, still register as positive, really good uh, pitches by Stuff Plus. The whole thing doesn't register that well. But he he has, for example, two better pitches, according to Stuff Plus, than Johan Oviedo has at all. And they have similar overall Stuff Pluses. So that's uh, mind-boggling, mind-bottling to me. Um I think it's weird that Oviedo is throwing his breaking balls better and getting such good results. And the model still says he doesn't have an above average pitch by stuff plus. So I'm closely watching the sort of rich Hill, Johan Oviedo portion of the uh, pirates rotation because I mean, uh, you know that (laughs) uh, I had Vince Velasquez circled as an off season, you know, guy I would throw $3 million at. Um, because he's always had good stuff plus. Uh, so I suppose he could just implode like he's always imploded. Uh, but somewhere in there, I want an opportunity for Luis Ortiz. I remember listening to an episode of Effectively Wild the in the days after Vince Velasquez signed with the Pirates, and they were they were just making fun of the the social media posts about Velasquez going there. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of a, a joke signing too. I thought at best they would do what they did with Jose Quintana a year ago get a few good months out of him as a starter, and flip him. Vince Velasquez has always had talent, but so far, it's only been five starts. This is the best Vince Velasquez we've ever seen. If you look at his ERA, his whip, everything, his strikeout per inning stuff is is all solid right now. Uh, is this the equivalent of what the Brewers did by bringing in Brian Anderson on the position player side? Kind of an unheralded move that's actually going to be pretty important just based on the team needs for this season. Well, one other thing I liked about him is he's relieved too. So like, yes, he's a guy who doesn't have options. And so at the end of the line, you may have to release him uh, if it doesn't work out. But at the same time, you give yourself two chances to get a quality pitcher, right? You put him in the rotation. If it doesn't work out, you get another chance. You put him in the bullpen, you know? And it's not like Bumgarner. I'm sure if you went to Bumgarner and said, hey, we want to try you in the bullpen, you know, <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, I, I would pay a lot of money to be there for that conversation about yeah. how you know oh the well-renowned God. Madison Bumgarner, who probably takes all criticism very, very well, probably takes it like I do. So, if you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
I really I like to... uh, Jared Triolo, but he's not playing yet. Mm. Must be hurt or something. I think you can watch out for Nick Gonzalez. I think... so just throw out too. Um, his strikeout rate is like absurd, which has been his problem. But he has maintained some batting average. It's up over. Yeah, he's supposed to be a bat the ball guy. Too. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you know, Nick has had a lot of readjustments. He hits the ball uh-huh. when he making when he barrels. It's crazy contact. He did it in the AFL. He's kind of back at it again. They have a lot of investment in him. He does have a double digit walk percentage. The only thing I think that is keeping him down is he is still striking out at a crazy amount. And like a lot of guys, the AFL, every pitcher was top of zone. They were just beating fastballs top of zone, and Nick was not able to catch yeah, up to he's, it. because he's made a vertical bat angle adjustment, so he's he's got kind of like a, a steep swing. Yeah, and it's kind of – yeah, exactly. It's come straight up with huge bat speed. But, you know, he is maintaining some batting average. You never know. He's at AAA now. Uh, I think Nick Gonzalez gets some opportunity at some point this year. I don't know if I'd be crazy excited about it because of strikeout rate, but like you said, the Pirates are winning. The Pirates are going to try to get live bats in there. And Henry Davis, Indy Rodriguez, Nick Gonzalez, those are probably the most likely offensive bats that we see anytime soon. I think we should have a segment once every so often, maybe once a week, but maybe like once a month, about a former prospect who became good much later than expected because that would be Vince Velasquez if this holds and it looks like the big difference is the slider usage and probably the slider itself I'm going to guess since everyone's throwing sweepers that we're talking about a Vince Velasquez slider that's not the same shape as it used to be Hmm. maybe he picked some of that up for the White Sox last year too I mean he was with the you know in that White Sox um, uh, rotation I saw him in spring training a bunch working with guys like Giolito and Kopech and Cease and now, you never know what these guys pick up in their stops and pick one guy's ear. One guy helps them learn how to throw a pitch a little bit different. There's some pretty smart pitchers, regardless of the lack of success over in Chicago. There's some pretty smart pitching minds in there that maybe that was the start of some of that big change. Yeah, it part is, of its usage, 41.5% slider usage so yeah. far this season. That is a reliever usage Typically. And the most sideways movement on his slider that he's ever had. Also, a Pirates thing, maybe, too, because look at Oviedo. Oviedo is succeeding right now, and he is sliders. more slider than anything else right now. I, so many guys, it's the thing that killed me about Dre Jamison, too. Throw the, throw the slider. You know, when that slider usage is near that fastball, if it's a good slider, so many guys are seeing such great success, and maybe that's part of the Pirates, because that's now two guys with heavy, heavy oh. slider usage on that team. Look at this. This is actually kind of fun. Slider usage across the league. Number one, the Angels. Number two, the San Francisco Giants, who have been telling all of their prospects in the minor leagues to just throw the slider. <laughs> like They have all these guys coming up throwing 15, 60% sliders. So the Giants, number two. And Pittsburgh, number three. And White Sox, number five. So... Uh, and uh, Mariners number six. So that's uh, a fun group. Houston as a progressive organization, nice to point them out at nine. Uh, but uh, the Yankees, on the other hand, uh, down there at 21 and the Dodgers at 24. So who's the lowest slider usage? Every progressive team uh, has done this. The Milwaukee Brewers. Hmm. Hmm. The lowest um, slider usage why. of any it's team. It's not replaced by a lot of uh, sinkers. It's... Uh, more cutters than anybody. Yeah, Burns throws a ton of cutters. Lowers. Brandon Woodruff's got a great changeup that he's been using a ton. Lowers throwing the cutter because he's lost Velo. Yeah, I don't know if that's on part. I mean, Freddie. Freddie Some Perot of it is just like who do you have right now? You know. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of it. It's not. You did the look. At, you would have to pull back and look at the entire org, I think, to have a right. a better sense of philosophy. Well, that's why the Giants being number two kind of makes sense to me because they definitely have an organizational philosophy on that. Does Matt Whistler have a team? Because he's probably skewing the slider <laughs> usage for the whole team. 87% slider usage. Yeah, but it you know, it's one of the things that's kind of interesting. It's like Robbie Ray never looked that good in Stuff Plus, but he also just threw this platter a ton. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes you can just take a, a like a slider with a 105 Stuff Plus. Like Vince Glasgow's slider has a 100 Stuff Plus, but hey, it's your second best pitch. Keep throwing it. Throw it more and more. Let's get to some other uh, questions that I put on the rundown. And this is the section. <laughs> three in seconds which, each. <laughs> yeah. You have three seconds through rapid fire. 
This is usually where the surprise call-ups come from. But I think our surprise was Tosh Bradley going down. Eric, we said we liked him more than the other pitchers who had all been promoted or about to be promoted recently. Matthew Libertor versus Chase Silseth. Who would you actually Ooh. rather have stashed right now for leagues only in, well, we could say 2023 only, and then we could separate it if there's a difference for you in keeper and dynasty formats. Who do you think is actually the better Ooh. stash between Libertor and Silseth? Well, Sil- you know, it sounds like you're torn on this one, so I'm going to go to Well, Silseth should have a rotation spot because uh, I've proclaimed the worst pitcher in all of baseball is Jose Suarez, and it's not even remotely close. <laughs> he is the worst single pitcher. And someone asked me, like, even Patrick Corbin? I would take Patrick Corbin nine out of 10 times over Jose Suarez. He is the worst. And that he is not DFA'd by the time we're doing this podcast is crazy to me. So they cannot put him out there again. That's why Silseth is interesting because he should be able to kind of slide into that spot. He's been good. Um, He's got a 0.9 ERA in the minors and AAA so far, though. 4-1-2 XFIP. The K numbers are there. But I'm intrigued with uh, Matthew Libertor. So... I think the move you can make right now is Silseth, but long term, I actually like Matthew Libertor um, a bit more from like more of a dynasty perspective. But maybe Silseth will kind of balance it out. He is striking out a little bit more, but I think his uh, AAA number is a little inflated in his favor. But he should get the first opportunity before uh, either one of these guys. Yeah, I don't. I'm I, I'm almost clicking the neither box. Oh, if we can um, do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of. I'm not really that interested in either one of these guys. However, Libertor keeps pushing his arsenal and keeps trying to kind of develop it and has almost gotten to league average stuff plus in the minors. He does have decent command and he has a wide enough arsenal that I could see him being a decent back-end pitcher for St. Louis and uh, being usable at home and uh, and sometimes on the road. Um, so I guess my, my answer is Libertor because of the park almost more than anything. Yeah, I think I'd go Libertor as well, but I think Silseth is someone that people might be sleeping on a lot of S's, uh, after the disappointing arrival last year. Yeah. I mean, seven starts last year for a 659 ERA and a 157 whip guys like that get written off. And I think the numbers in the minors at double A last year, especially were really encouraging. Arsenal's not that bad. I don't think the control is a problem. That should be good enough for him to stick. And I'm, I'm with you, Welsh. I think Suarez is one of the worst pitchers in a starting rotation right now, so that can't last. I was looking at his career splits in the bullpen. They're not great. You'd think, oh, a 25-year-old lefty just moving to the bullpen. He'll be fine there. He'll get some chances there for the Angels, but he's out of options. So maybe a month from now we're talking about Jose Suarez as someone that is, in fact, um, you know, looking for a new the broadcast was like, oh, if we, I don't know what we do with them. He's out of options. Someone might pick him up. And I'm like, who would pick up Jose Suarez? You said bad numbers out of the bullpen. One of the worst starting. I think he's DFA'd. He's not claimed. And they can just send him down and get him off the 40 man. And I don't know why you would be worrying like, oh, we missed him. <laughs> we didn't get like, I don't understand what he is. So insanely bad. It's mind boggling that the angels are doing this to themselves. I recommend having, um, uh, the full when you if you're looking at stuff plus I, I recommend having the full page open on Fangraphs um, where it has uh, if you just click on stuff plus it gives you the stuff plus of all their pitches uh, because you know Suarez has a 97 stuff plus 90 location so yes it says he's bad in aggregate but with the 97 stuff plus you'd say oh the breaking balls are still good uh, the fastballs are both under 90 stuff plus and this is something that came up yesterday when we were talking about Maeda it's like Yes, if you look at the overall stuff plus, you think, okay, this guy's all right. But there probably is a moment where the fastball just falls below usability. Second inning. And (laughs) it's the second inning. It's always the second inning. Look where he I meant, throws I it. meant like a, a threshold and stuff plus, but yes, oh, yeah, some yeah. of these guys in the second inning can't get past the second inning. And unfortunately in this game, I think you still need to throw the, the fastball. So... Uh, even as much as we're talking here about throwing slider more and more, I think, you know, I'd be very suspect of a pitcher with a lower than 90 uh, fastball stuff plus. I'd be skeptical of anyone who throws their fastballs there. If you're watching us on YouTube, look at that. Look at that fried egg right in the middle of the pan. Well, that's the 90 location plus. Yeah, He centered that up right on the griddle, right in the middle of the griddle. It's not, yeah, I'm going to do a in quick there. starters. Uh, f- bad fastball search. Here we go. 
Look where he throws his sliders and changeups. Everything in the middle of the zone. Uh, yeah, I could have told you without seeing that. Cindergaard. It's crazy. Freeland. Gomber, Everything's in there. It's not just Waka. like a few mistakes. He's made, he's made mistakes, and every time he's made a mistake, hitters have just destroyed it. It's that he's just repeatedly in the exact wrong part of the zone. <laughs> yeah, insanity. That's... He is the definition of an insanity. And five homers in his last start, just down the middle. Down. It'll work this time. Nope, it's gone. This. Nope, it's gone. Every single time oh, this works, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, the math. The math in me says, you know, locations aren't sticky, but. I mean, that's a pretty amazing feature. <laughs> that looks sticky looks to like me. Looks like there's a magnet. There's a magnet in the zone, and it's just pulling the ball. Yeah, why Why is he throwing it there? Uh, how about a Baltimore edition of a Would You Rather? We'll go to the position player side. Jordan Westberg versus Connor Norby versus also Joey Ortiz at the uh, at the request of one Chris Welsh. I'll throw this to Eno first, because I know Welsh has a lot to say. Not that much. I think that Ortiz is going to end up third on all of our lists, um, and maybe that's fair, but uh, I will point out that he had the hardest hard hit rate of the three uh, on Rotowire, and he's combining that hard hit rate with a 17.9% strikeout rate. So maybe Joey Ortiz ahead of Norby? Uh, Are we going to be consensus Westberg first? Uh, I think like Westberg, I think is the most exciting uh, of all of it. And he's hitting again. I think he is kind of the top guy, but, but I think that's more of a long-term thing. I legit think Joey Ortiz is actually the guy that could get the call at first. He's also almost 25 years old. Her hit numbers are through the roof. If they're looking, you gotta, you gotta see if you've got something there first, right? Yeah. That's what I think it is. So, I mean, you've got Westberg, you've got Norby, they're younger. I mean, I guess Westberg just turned 24 as well, but you got low strikeout rates, high batting average. Last year, uh, Joey Ortiz hit 19 homers, stole 18 bases. He's hitting the ball really hard, good defensively. I think he actually could get the first stab at the whole thing, but it also like long-term for the season, I go Westberg, Ortiz, and I just don't know where Norby quite fits yet. Well, part of the problem for Norby is that Jorge Mateo is playing so, so well good. that either you are sending Gunner back down, which I don't think it's to that point yet, um, or like pushing Frazier to the outfield some and, and just putting somebody at second, in which case I would say they put Joey Ortiz at second because Westberg is their shortstop. I could buy, I buy like, all of that. Do you call up Westberg and put him at second? I think they could do that. I think that's. I don't think that's uh, out of character with it. But he has been a shortstop. He played at college with Justin Foscue, who was like more of a second baseman for them. So his shortstop has been his spot. That might be the play. Yeah, you might have that. It might be Joey Ortiz is more the super utiller, goes to second. Westberg ends up being the shortstop. That leaves Norby in a weird spot. But I, I think the original thing you said is. I think the Orioles will look at this as this is a guy that doesn't hurt them. They need to see what they have in Joey Ortiz and does he have a role long term where, um, you know, Westberg and Norby are probably just a step behind. It might be better offensive options. Both. Jorge Mateo, though, minus what? one ounce above average. Don't don't go down that rabbit hole again. Just take take your medicine. With Mateo. <laughs> don't don't do it. Here's the thing the Orioles are going to do. This is what I think they're going to do. Anyway. Where do you play Mateo if not shortstop? In the outfield. Yeah, you can play the outfield if you want to put him out there. You're going to have Mullins and Mateo in the outfield? It's fast. The Orioles are 15-7 and seven right now. Every team in the AL East is 500 or better, entering play on Tuesday. The Orioles have a large number of major league-ready prospects, or very close to it, right? You can't play all these guys. That's what I'm saying. Like, How, does it, how did the puzzle fit? They, it's trade. It's a, I think it's a first-half trade. If mm. you're the Orioles, you've been waiting a long time for this. Trade Mateo? For what? Rotation? Nope. Bullpen? What are they going for? Rotation. Yeah. Get a get a get an impact starter. I think the question is going to be which impact starters are actually available. I think the Orioles, they can sort of shop off the secret menu. They can go to a team and make more compelling offers because of their depth. To someone you didn't think was can. available. Ooh, maybe how about this? Yeah. What about go to the Reds and get Graham Ashcraft? We'll get his Get his stuff plus mm. with the Orioles. That team is trash. They're losing games left and right, and they make the a move. Reds, yeah. I mean, maybe even Lodolo, because one thing that's interesting about Lodolo is that uh, he switched over to his four-seam as his primary, and it's made his curve play down. 
which is the worst thing um, he could do with that 40 plus percent whiff rate, 46, I think, last year. Just some crazy whiff rate on that curveball, and it's down crazy. Down like 20%. Yeah, I think, I think it's because he's kind of switched over to his four seam. So make him more of a sinker curve guy again. Um, you know, and maybe the Reds are, are souring on the dolo. Reds I are mean, trying to extend him right to now, think though. that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think that maybe a, the Reds could make a pitcher available for a position player. Uh, the Guardians seem pretty stacked with pitching and always seem, you know, like they might be willing to trade a pitcher for, uh, for, uh, would you? Problem like many... They got Rokio though. The problem is they got like Rokio and Freeman that are replacements to guys like Rosario. That's the goofy thing. Also, the Reds have a bunch They're of They're not really looking players. for a shortstop. Yeah, right? finding the right no, you know, You know who needs a shortstop? Who really needs a shortstop and always has pitching? The Marlins. The Marlins. Need to hook up with they the Orioles need on a trade. Short stop. But we've we've traded away Marlins pitchers. What is that? Is that Edward guys. Cabrera? They do do it. Who, actually, who gets though. moved? Cabrera. Ooh, Cabrera would be spicy. Yeah, Cabrera. Could you do Cabrera straight up for and the Marlins say one of these blocked Orioles infielders? It'd probably have to be like a Westberg. Maybe it's like a Westberg and something for Cabrera. Maybe they have to do Cowser and Westberg for Cabrera and and Ooh. something. I mean, that might be too much. Mateo's too much of a pop up prospect to to do this. Mateo's just, I mean, what about Mateo and, and and like a and a, a other package. I just don't think a team is trading for Mateo. Seeing him as like even even what we said yesterday about the Orioles kind of having this this win by giving him this opportunity and, and having him get to this point, I don't think a team swoops in and says we want the next three years of that. Mm-hmm. I think the Orioles want a the the Marlins rather want a prototypical long term big time shortstop. Six years. Yes, I think that's what they want if they're going to make a trade like that. Maybe trade Joey Ortiz and keep Westberg. Yeah, I mean, but see, that might not be the move. They probably have to be like Westberg for Cabrera. And then you know what that does too? Yuri Perez. Yuri Perez could maybe start popping up. That's a pretty good mix there, the Marlins and the Orioles for a move. Joey Ortiz for Braxton Garrett? I think that's one you Mm. could make. I think that's something you could make. And you could do that in season. If if you're the Marlins, you're not waving the white flag. Yeah, Rogers hurt right now. Lizardo... They want to keep Lazardo's not going anywhere. Are you sure? But Braxton Garrett seems very tradable. Yeah, yeah, but I wouldn't trade for for him and think that I was getting a ton. I, I wouldn't like you guys are talking about an impact rotation piece. Like Braxton Garrett is not that. I mean, Cabrera Garrett might be, might be the, actually Braxton right. Garrett. If you if you were going to trade Jorge Mateo, that's probably the best sort of pitcher you're going to get as a pitcher like Braxton Garrett. Maybe that's worth doing. Maybe you want to keep the kids and and move I would on try maybe Joey Ortiz for Jesus Lazardo. But there is a there is an injury uh, sort of question mark around Jesus Lazardo. Yeah, it's it's always kind of been uh, floated in there. We had a question about an Orioles prospect. This came from Wes in the OC. Heston Sherstad, I believe, oh, is the correct he's pronunciation. Good too, dude, he's so good. Uh, they, oh, is that you changed the pronunciation? I thought, I thought it was Kerstad. I thought it was Sherstad. Yeah, it, it was Kerstad in the uh, Arizona Fall League. But I'm not gonna make arguments against you guys with. Uh, your bigger brains, but it was Kerstad is what they would keep saying. I think it's Kerstad then, if that's what they were saying in the fall league. I've got friends that must be pronouncing their own last names wrong, which is possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's Scandinavian names all over uh, in the Midwest. Anyway, Kerstad is uh, another prospect that is putting up big numbers for the Orioles. I think he. the question is basically, is there something we don't know about him? Is he just delayed height because he was sick last year and started slow? And it was a what COVID is his MLB problem, comp? right? He had a heart problem. Oh, I think it was COVID and then heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hamstring injury last year cost him some time, so it's been a it, it's been a rough go for Kerstad so he far. So good in the fall. So good. Yeah. I mean, I I'm a huge fan. I went aggressive after the fall league, and I know it's very dangerous to do. And people are like, "Ooh, you know, fall league numbers," but like you got to see him on display, and he has an explosive bat. He can turn. He hit for the cycle. He actually was the first time I've ever seen this. Him and Cal Conley hit for the cycle in the same game together, uh, which was just <laughs> like a this wild feat. Uh, he had five homers last year. Um, he had six homers to lead the way, I believe, in the Arizona Fall League. Him and Mervis, I think, were up there. He won the MVP in the Arizona Fall League. He's back here in Double A now. Five homers, three stolen bases. He's lowered his strikeout percentage to twenty percent. He was getting beat on low stuff that he's fixing that. And he's playing some first base right now for this team. I think he's one of the best kept secrets 
um, with a crazy, crazy offensive explosive bat for a guy that can move around who's just had injury stuff and people haven't seen enough of him. But the top pick has been playing it out, and I moved him aggressively up my ranks when most else, when most didn't want to, and maybe it won't work out. But he's fixed a lot of the corks that we saw from the Arizona Fall League, which were the problem, and. He was the best player MVP in the fall league last year. So I'm a, I'm a big buyer on Kershaw and I love the first base potential. Mm. Yeah. A couple different ways he could fit into the equation there. And that's definitely a position that I think is up for grabs in the near future for the Orioles as well. He could hit his way into that. And I think part of it for as far as why he's ranked low, a lot of places is that lost time and maybe based on defensive value, not playing up the middle. That's an uphill battle for a lot of prospects as well. But if he continues to hit, with the improvements that Welsh was describing, probably a guy that cruises into top 100s where he's not already a part of that group. And I, Yet another. And I got a ton of video if anyone wants to see on my Twitter. You can go to my Twitter handle on the mobile. You can usually search and you can go and look and there's just, it's one, it's a gorgeous swing. It's a gorgeous swing. I think I have a couple homers in there. I might have one of the cycle plays, uh, the homer from the cycle in there. So go and check it out if you want to go watch some swings, um, you know, from my my vantage point. And I've got a confirmation. It is Kerstad, Kerstad okay. in the pronunciation guide. So there we go. That is that is the way to go. But S- second base is, uh, is more for the taking, I think. So yeah, yeah, yep. great. We're gonna yeah, Mount see Castle. I'm in on my guess here. One, two, three. Your guess for who comes up to play second base? The Orioles. One, two, three. Joy Ortiz. Joy Ortiz. Westberg. <laughs> <laughs> so it's clearly no going to be Connor Norby. By the way, so everybody go pick up Connor <laughs> Norby. He's getting called up Wait, twelve minutes after this show. I thought the, Norby uh, was an outfielder. No, it's second, it's second base. You got to think he can play outfield in second base. They got a lot of guys that can play a bunch of spots. Like they, tons of flexibility. Yeah, Norby might have just moved, by fit. the way. He was a second baseman. I'm going to look. Uh, yeah, he's still listed as a second baseman. I think still playing there on fan graphs. So um, he's still at that spot. All okay. right. Jackson Holiday already in high A, by the way. That's one of the other crazy O's-related items to throw on the, the Everything's rundown. coming up O's. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Hope they make some moves. Hope they get some reinforcements on this roster and make this fast start meaningful by uh, getting even Spend some better. money. Maybe, the, maybe that'll be the ticket. If somebody is actually expensive that we didn't think was available. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll see. They could take on they could take on money if there's anyone with a, a contract that someone's looking to unload. You know what maybe people could do? Well, maybe people could uh, go to the YouTube channel right here on The Athletic, Rates and Barrels, and they could comment under this video with the trades that they think uh, we could see. I think that would be a good way. So subscribe like and do it. Yeah, get us some speculative trades for the Orioles to make. Realistic speculative trades. Hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you don't already do that on YouTube, you can find Welsh on Twitter at is it the Welsh. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you need a subscription to The Athletic, it's a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.